now. And hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good morning. If you're out here on the West Coast, here in Northern California, in San Francisco, it is very kind of windy, cold, and lots of rain. Uh, but we definitely need that rain, so I'm not uh, too disappointed. But it is kind of kind of a day to get cozy in the house and to talk about markets. Um, I'm going to, from my understanding of what the, what the format is, it's like I'm just going to be led by uh, crowd requests. So and you guys are the crowd. Um, so if there are particular stocks, particular index, um, if you're just looking, you know, whatever you, type of information you're looking for, please go ahead and put that in the chat so I can go from there. Uh, what I will begin with, I'll start to talk about the um, S&P, seems to be everybody's perennial favorite here. And um, yesterday's little reaction to a one sentence from Jerome Powell, and that was, yes, we could consider lessening the rate at which we hike and or something to that effect. And basically it was the word could, not will, not would, not can, not anything but could. And that was enough to open up the possibility. And instead of getting this reaction off of the GDP number, um, <clears throat> it was tossed in, I got you, trader. Um, thank you, Bruce. Um, so the GDP number itself actually came in a little bit greater than what they were expecting, but produced zip basic reaction, other than the market did tend to go lot, go down. But as soon as Powell said what he said, it somebody was there waiting and they just hit that buy button and it came in. Now, my interpretation of what all of that means, we had that same type of a reaction from the CPI figure, which came in one-tenth of 1% 1 better on that day. That was November the 10th. So basically two weeks later, or actually a week later, I'm sorry, we're getting a similar reaction from what should have been just a statement, but it was interpreted as an indication of intent, et cetera, et cetera. And so what I believe really was behind both of these, this was put out, the CPI was on a Thursday with the expiration on Friday. This was put out yesterday, expiration is tomorrow. And what I just want to toss out there as we're trying to determine when we're watching these numbers and we're watching reactions of people then attaching a bullish or bearish signal to that and then trading accordingly. Now, not that you don't do that because I think that what else do we have? But I believe that what we what can add a little bit of greater understanding is that so many times these large moves that we're getting uh, as we're heading into our days of expiration is nothing more than position adjustments. And it really has nothing to do with being bullish or bearish. It has to do what your position is and where your risk is on that position. So what I've seen so far is that on this day, there was a lot of risk in the market. So in the equity markets. And this was a day that everything, you know, Apple went up 10 bucks, everything flew higher, massively higher. So upon reflection, when I can go back, I can realize that there were a lot of short positions and there were a lot of uh, positions in puts on the short side that if the market went up, it relieved the pressure on the puts, but put the pressure on the call shorts. And what and what I mean by all this is like as it comes down to expiration, which we now have, by the way, so that you all understand, there are expirations every single day, Monday through Friday, in the SPX and ES, and I believe also in the Nasdaq in that future. And 
Then we have a weekly expiration, which is pretty much everything else, all of the uh, component stocks, uh, bond markets, everything. They all got these weekly expirations. Then we have a monthly expiration. Then we have a quarterly. So we've got expirations just constantly in a roll. And that kind of really puts a whole different spin on these rallies and these declines and rallies and declines that we. Now, one thing that I have found that kind of continues to work for me is Elliott Wave. And, and those of you uh, that may follow me on YouTube understand that that is the basis of my analysis uh, moving forward. Now, the thing is, is that with Elliott Wave, we also have to be very fluid because the markets are fluid. The markets are constantly changing. And that actually puts some changes into place on how you want to label and what becomes an acceptable move versus a non-acceptable move. Because the changes that have occurred in our marketplace from when R.N. Elliott originally wrote this principle and put it all together are massive. We didn't have hedge funds and, and mutual funds that operate on an electronic basis. We weren't electronic at all. We had a ticker tape you know, back in his day. Then we didn't have 30-second charts, one-minute charts, five-minute charts. We had an hourly chart that we calculated by hand. So in other words, it's like when I first started doing Elliott, and it's not actually that long ago, it's only like, well, you know, 40 years ago, there was, I had standing in the crowd, I was trading in in, in uh, London and in Amsterdam, and I had a, a card that it would take out every hour and I'd look up and I would copy down the price of the index. When I got home, I had my graph sheets and I would plot it and connect my dots. And that's how I got my waves. So my, my count was all based on an hourly chart hand done. Well, now I can base my, I can go out and I can look at a monthly chart. I can look at a daily chart and I get a lot more information much quicker, but it has to remain fluid. And you have to have what I call an alternate view and a preferred view. And there are oftentimes when I'll have more than one alternate view because the market has the capability of moving wildly now because there's a lot more at stake. There's a lot more inside that. We have derivatives on derivatives on derivatives. And I'm not joking. When you have the VIX, the V-I-X, then you have the VIX future, which is the V-X. Then you have another ETF, which is the volatility on the volatility. And I'm not kidding. And these carry huge positions. And they have a play in what happens each and every day. You'll see, oh, why is volatility going down? When, when the markets are going down, shouldn't volatility rise? It's like, well, it depends on what the back month and the front month and all these other things are doing and who needs to move what around within it. So the volatility index is really kind of have evolved into something that the big boys, the large trader, the big trading firm, and they do a lot of trading around it and where it would be. So it changes how we want to look at a market. And that includes how we want to look at the S&P and how we want to look at a longer term or a short term. My longer term view in the S&P right now continues to suggest that we are completing an intermediate degree, those would be the ones labeled in yellow, an intermediate degree wave two of an ongoing primary degree C wave down. So what we're involved in is there's our all-time high way back here. And so I just want to do this quickly because I want to get to your your specific uh, request as well. But here we finished an intermediate five, a primary five, a cycle five, got one more above that, a super cycle wave three. Now that super cycle wave three began via the SPX, which was calculated back then. And it started in 1942, I believe, 1942. So this thing took 
a long time, 80, 85 years to complete. So what we're correcting is that amount of time. And I, I can get, I can show you. I'm just going to go to the SPX chart and I'm going to go to the monthly. And this is just for the exercise. See how far back I go? 1928 has all that data. So that was the 2009 low. This is what we've done since. It's like, holy, you know what? That's been incredible, an incredible rise. Now, you need to understand what fueled this rise. Cheap money. At that point right here, the government started to toss in a total of $8 billion, excuse me, $8 trillion into the banking system, into our system, monetary system. And that fueled all of this. Then we got the COVID scare. What did the government have to do after that? Well, not only do we have to bail out corporate, but the country, we had to bail out public. We had to bail out us, retail, real people. And that was to the tune of $13 trillion. That then fueled this absolute vertical rise. Cheap money, lots and lots of cheap money. Now, when that ended, in terms of interest rates started to go up, what, what can happen? Well, then the cheap money's gone. So it's being taken out of your hands. But they're really being slow about it. I got to tell you, they're being very, very slow about this cheap money and not wanting to scare the market and not wanting to put a panic in anybody. And it's just very, very interesting the way they're going about it. Because what they're basically doing is they're hiking interest rates, but they're giving all corporates enough time to filter it through and put it back on the back of the consumer. We pay for what they've done. We pay for their cheap money. We're paying for it because they're they're going to raise their prices that we have to pay at the gas pump, at the food, at you know, at the grocery store, to heat our homes, to put lights on in our home. So it all gets passed down to us, but it doesn't actually stop or control the inflation rate when they're just doing it on this little tiny basis. Now, we're all going, like, oh, my God, that's such a high number, three quarters of a basis point. Now, we need to consider, granted that the situation has changed because of where we are and the fact that the, the government, in terms of when we're making a comparison between the late 70s and now, the two different the two different situations are actually we can even go to include 1980 1981 which is where the comparison comes in on our inflation rate being equal to or now just now a little bit below where it was in 1981 which it was the high which i believe is 9% or just above so we're drifting a little bit back below that level right now but still inflation is a problem and the fed keeps saying oh we're going to keep strong in this we're going to keep doing this it's like at the rate that they're doing it, it's not going to change. They're not going to bring down inflation. They're just enabling it to last forever because it doesn't stop. It keeps getting passed on. So right now, it's getting passed on from the Fed to the corporate world. And then it's getting passed from the corporate world onto us, the retail. And we've got nobody that we can pass it on. We just have to, have to accept it or don't. And if we don't accept it, well, then you don't buy food. You don't buy gas. You don't pay utilities, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's kind of a catch-22 situation. Now, if we take a look at what, for example, Paul Volcker did, where there was one period, and I believe it was in 1981, where he finally just said, I got to do it, and it's going to hurt, but it's going to get it all done at one time. So it's like getting that booster shot that you know is going to kind of make you feel pretty sick and make you really sore, but you do it anyway because you want to get over whatever's going on. And he raised the rates 
the Fed rate, 6% at one time. That shut it down. That shut inflation down. It hurt. Nobody liked it. We all went into a tailspin, but it worked. Now we're kind of playing this game because the Fed doesn't want to upset Wall Street. So going back to these reactions that we saw, that one and this one, it was going back to like we have so many players in the market, so many very large firms that have their hands in their trades and everything. And often, most often, they're using options, different forms of options, derivatives to put these trades on. So you're going to hear them talk a lot about risk on, risk off. So if you got risk on and you got it in options and those options expire tomorrow, you took that news, or that little word that he said is like, oh, they're going to love it. They're going to jump on the market. It was called risk off. What happens? Everybody jumps in, they cover, the risk is off. And now we said, we're going like, oh, wow, what a great move. Everybody's bullish. We should go up to here now because now we've got all the technicals interpreted. And don't get me wrong, on the daily, that up move yesterday was, was a very strong up move. Now, what are most people going to call it? Oh, it's a very bullish move. Now, I tend to feel it's like if we don't choose our words, no doubt. No doubt, it was bullish. The market went up and it went up and it went up very strongly. But I would say that it was a strong up move versus a strong bullish move because bullish gives us the indication, and we should, to be honest with you, that, well, there's more to come. Well, we got more. Was that enough? No. People are now looking like it should go here, it should go here, it should keep going. But that's a technical pick. I do agree with presenting things on a technical basis because I do feel that is how we trade. We live and we trade within a quantitative environment. That's algorithms. Algorithms should go off a technical indicator. We use technical indicators when we're determining where we are on a chart. We use technical indicators to determine it's like, well, they broke that moving average, that moving average, and look where they went. They broke the 200. What happened? It accelerated again. They came back down. They held that 200. Oh, well, that provided support. Now they're going to take it back higher again. Technical all the way around. Elliott Wave, it is a technical indicator. Fibonacci, a technical indicator. So we are technically trading. And on that basis, you're just going by the number. Now, when you add reality and, again, some Elliott rules, you begin to understand that, well, we can't really go out too far and say, well, technically, we could go up to 6,000. Sure, we can. But reality, how is it going to get there and why would it get? So you're going to see how we've got to mix the reality with the technical to get a clearer, more realistic picture. So when I sit and I look, I feel like, okay, we're running up because it was risk off, no problem. And my analysis of this market, being that we're in a, we are in an, an intermediate wave two up, that is, it's correcting the intermediate first wave down. I'm on the SPX. That's what happened. <laughs> Sorry about that. Now I'll go back over here. That's better. Intermediate wave one was from the August highs to that, I believe it was October. Yeah, October 13th low. And since then, we've been churning higher and lower correctively to put in the correction to this. So if we're in this primary C wave down, that's what all of this is part of, what is inside that primary C wave? It's five waves of intermediate degree. So here we have intermediate wave one, intermediate wave two, completing possibly be, being done today. I don't know. One other thing that I wanted to point out, go back over to my daily so I can show it to you. I took a, and this came from a member of my trade room, very clever, very nice. And if we connect that all-time high and you just put a channel line, it crosses right over to today's high. 
touched it. So I'm taking there the March high. There is the the January high, the March high, the August high, and then today's. Very interesting. What do we want to do? We're not. We're still not breaking back above it. I think it should. I think we have very strong potential for getting itself up to like 40, 4160-ish up into these areas. Now, under the under the rules of Elliott, the second wave cannot exceed 4327.50. That was that high on March, on excuse me, on August the 16th. If it does, it's not a second wave correcting a first wave. Therefore, that count would become invalidated. And then I would go to an alternate count. That's not what we're doing here today. I'm just kind of showing you where I believe we are right now. We're sitting at a major decision-making point for the market. And I'm not sure which side's going to take over. If reality will come back, don't forget tomorrow, we get the all-important employment situation. Now, remember, as hard as it is to conceptualize, people going back to work is inflationary rather than people applying for unemployment insurance. I know that's hard to kind of work ourselves around, but it's true. I am delighted that the infrastructure package was passed by our government, which is now going to dole out billions of dollars to get people back to work. And they're going to be good paying jobs with benefits, with longevity, as we rebuild our infrastructure, which has been sorely needed for many, many, many. So that, to me, is an extremely positive thing for the United States, for the U.S. economy. But now we're going to have to fight that while we're entering this period already in a period of high inflation that our Fed can't get their grips on because they don't want to upset the market. And how, what would upset the market? Just go out your medicine in one dose. Let's get it over with. But that would upset too many apple carts and change the flow of capital. A lot of capital would disappear because people would get stuck and have to pay it out. So there'd be this big switch going on. And they don't want that to happen. So here we sit. We, the retail, we, the citizens of our country are sitting here looking like, hmm, not sure what all this is going to be or why. Because if I got to live with inflation, then what's it going to be in the first quarter of 2023? If my, if my food bill has gone up 25%, 50% total over what I was paying just a short four months ago. Well, what's it going to do if they, if they don't get the grip on this and it just keeps marching itself higher? And let me just show you an example. And again, I'm not I'm not trying to put any junk in here, but where I live, again in San Francisco, I go to the grocery store. You're going down the aisle, and I'm looking. I'm going like, oh yeah, I think I'd like a box of cereal. And then I go over and look at the price, and a box of Cheerios. And I'm not talking the big family size, just a normal little box, seven dollars and forty nine cents for a box of cereal. I'm like, what are we crazy? Right? Dozen eggs. Watch how price that goes up. A gallon of milk, watch the price of that go up. Your produce, watch the price of that go up. And so if if the Fed is afraid of shocking the market and they don't want to do that because it would just upset too many people, well, come on. So here we sit. So my long term is that, yep, we're going to enter into a recession if we're not already there, but they haven't really declared it yet. But we're there and we got everybody under the sun talking about the United States will be in a recession solidly in 2023. Look for major, major declines in 2023. I'm hearing across the board. Now, either they're all going to be proven wrong and we're not going to allow it to happen, or it's going to happen. And the other reason that somebody, this was a, a Deutsche Bank analyst, put out the report that the United States will be in recession 
and they're not prepared. They have not recession-proofed portfolios. Now, that's something. All right. So now let me get over and let's start talking about the first one that came out was HL. So let me go over and let's put in HL and take a peek. Hecla Mining. Oh, what a great one. Now, great choice, by the way, because if you happen to check out gold today, folks, it's up $55. It's like gone from everybody's we hate you gold and you're in a bear market and you're never going to go higher again. And I've heard all that. Now, if you've been in the market long enough, you start to pick up these little things that are when everybody's talking trash about a particular stock, product, index, whatever, it's usually because it's coming to a bottom. Now, gold is a different product. Gold is a storehouse of value, period, end of story. All of this nonsense, gold doesn't give you anything. It doesn't give you any return. It doesn't pay you interest, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so where do we get our profit from gold? When it increases in value. Why is it going to increase in value? There are several, several reasons. So what really kind of is behind the gold? We are have major countries, including our own, that are diligently working to digitalize our currency. China already has digitalized the yuan. Russia has digitalized the ruble. And I'm looking at India thinking like they're not going to be too far behind before they'll digitalize the rupee. Now, why would you say that? Well, to think that cryptocurrency came about is just a fad. No. Cryptocurrency came about because they needed to design the blockchains. The blockchains are how all of that digital currency flips itself around the world. The blockchain is the technology of which digitalizing our dollar and the yuan and the ruble come from. So what is all this nonsense about cryptocurrency and it's being one big Ponzi scheme? Well, probably because it is. What do you get for your Bitcoin? Well, you get a virtual coin. Well, virtual coin, what do you mean? At least if I buy shares of stock, I can get the certificate that says I own it. If I get an option contract, I'm getting something in return. What am I getting from my virtual? And then they come out with the non-fungible tokens. Well, that was a good one. What do I get from that? Nothing. Well, what am I buying? Well, you're buying a hotel in my make-believe city. And if people come through there and they park and they stay at you, you'll get some money. Really? What's my guarantee? None. Well, how can I, will this go up in price? Only if somebody goes there. So it's it was a scheme. It was a game. And it made a lot of money for a lot of people. But think about the bigger players that are in there. What's their purpose? So again, gold. Gold technically has seasonality to it. But also when we start to move into uncertainty, like recession and other things in the market, gold traders hate that. When we have large buyers, which could be a country. I know that China, there's reports that China is attempting to to build up their gold reserves to back the digital yuan. I believe Russia was accepting uh, gold for oil because they would like to build up their gold reserves as well. This doesn't get reported in our press. It doesn't get reported by CNBC or Bloomberg, but it's out there and it's a reality. So what's behind this rally in gold? I think there's quite a few things, one of them being what we're just talking about. Let's take a look at Hecla Mining. I believe, correct me if I'm not wrong, uh, uh, Takeo, that Hecla is primarily in silver mining, or do they actually have gold mines as well? I think that they're 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 heavy in silver, and Hecla's been around forever. Now, if I'm looking at this, they came down, they did put in a new low under there, which tells me that this drop is 
Silver mostly, right. That's what I thought. Thank you. Um, and they came down and it looks like this move, now this is the daily. Let's just take a peek. Let's Normally when I'm looking at a chart, I want to go out and I want to look at the most information. That I, the, also, when you're trying to analyze, in this case, a silver producer and some gold, but they're in precious metals, they're going to be guided more by the actual chart in silver. Another factor that's going to really put a, a, a stop or, or help a miner is what their cost is, what their cost to get an ounce of silver out of the ground and refine, what the cost of getting an ounce of gold, a troy ounce out of the ground and refining it. Secondly, when we're talking about gold and silver and we're talking about miners is what the availability. So we need to look and see what what how much silver is left in the ground that is actually going to be mineable, that they're actually going to be able to get out of the ground versus how much silver is available and in hands now, because that is going to help you determine, well, is there going to be a squeeze? And if there's a squeeze, it's going to put more pressure on the miners. Are the miners actually going to be able to get it out of the ground? If the price of silver suddenly goes to $50, what's their production cost? They might be able to, maybe their production cost really brings it down to where their cost is $17 or $15 to get it out of the ground and refine it. They'll have a, They'll be really working overtime to get it out of the ground if we have a strong rally. Okay. Same thing with gold, gold miners. We have a decent rally in gold. You always check out and see, it, and, you, and it's usually available on their website at some place, and I can't remember exactly where. You go and you find out what their cost is, what it costs them to get an ounce of gold out of the ground and refined. So the production cost. Um, in gold, I can tell you that there's a, there's a very limited supply left in the ground, and there's an extreme shortage when you're going to compare, and this I believe also exists in silver, when we compare uh, what's outstanding in uh, SLV and GLD. Originally, those when those ETFs were, came onto the marketplace many years ago, they were to be backed in gold. That has switched because they became too popular and there's too many outstanding contracts. And there's not enough gold available or in the ground to cover the open contracts in GLD and SLV. So another reason why you think gold can go up, short squeeze, short squeeze. Who's left holding the bag? Whoever represents and clears and holds all those promises of delivery in GLD and SLV. BlackRock is a big one. JP Morgan is another big one. They're going to be on the hook. They don't talk about it because they don't want you to know. But there it is. Now, getting back to this particular stock, it's kind of come down in three here. And this is on a monthly chart. I had to say three. Now, maybe this three is not done. I don't particularly like that gap up. In fact, that was today. Let me go back to the daily. This gap and then retreat and then still. If it was green, I would be like, nice gap. See what that happened there? We had a gap and then we went down and went down. This is kind of interesting. It's kind of a difficult in back and forth, but I think we got a little pullback. And if we, if we can hold the hourly 20, this is my 20, like 539. You definitely don't want it to drop back below 513 because that would just suggest we're going to go back down. But I think it could be a very, could be start of a nice, cleaner, bullish move, which it's already above there. But see, it, it zipped up and it came back to a comfort zone and it came back down to that four hour four. It's not much. And it's now at the one hour eight. These are just the four period and the eight period moving averages. See how it slipped through it and came back to it? That's a comfort. This is the comfort zone right? that the market's okay with. 
But if it breaks that, then it's like headed there. If it breaks that, then it should head there. That's the 20. This is the 50. That's the 50 SM, uh, SMA, EMA. I run both, even though institutionally on just the longer term charts is where you'll see them. I kind of keep them together. So these are the 50s. These are the 200s. As this starts to break down, again, these are all EMAs up here. As it breaks that, that would be the target for the next, for the decline. And it fits because it would need to get below there. Well, there it sits at 39. That is below there. If it holds there, then you look for a rally up. If it breaks, then you're looking for it to come back down into here. This is all pure technical. So again, you got to balance that out with what you may hear coming from Hecla itself, et cetera. Right now, they're still, yeah, they did make some money. Um, and earnings just came out, but they didn't like them, and now they do. Hecla's yeah. going to rally because silver's rallying. And I would imagine that that would be the case as well. On the daily chart, it does have upside room because, again, it's got that nice low. If anything, I can say that that might be an A and a B, and this is one, and that's a two, and that's working on a three. And I was putting a little four. It should come back up. And if we're just going to do just straight retracements of this decline, it's already reached 50% today and come back down and sitting right on it now on the daily chart. Next up in line would be 604 and then 641. Those will be your next resistance on upside. So you can play it to that, to those levels. And so if, you, if you're long here, keep on running stop. Trail, trail your stop. On a daily chart, I still would use the eight. And you just move your trailing stop to and then move it on that level. Um, next up, we have DAR. Uh, I will do XLF in just one moment. I'm going to go over to DAR because that was next on the list. Darling ingredients. Not sure what they do. Um, so you're welcome. Oh, that's an interesting daily. Wow. What happened here? There was there news on this particular stock that something something came out that they didn't like. Um, I'm going to start again. Let's let's keep a look on this. Yeah, here we go. Again, technical view. We have a nasty decline down. They still making money though. Nasty decline down. And then we have the A, we have a B, and we have a C. So that's the five down. This is the three up. And now it appears that it's starting to work on a five down. And if that's the case, uh, I'm going to change this around. And what we put on, again, these are very quick analysis. I don't know darling ingredients. I don't know what they do. So I can only give you a quick technical view. Oops. So what you see, I'm putting on re uh, extensions. And what I'm measuring is if if this is the A, let me show you. If this is the A, this is the B. Now I'm looking for a C wave on a Fibonacci basis. C wave relates to the A wave. That's how we can figure out, okay, what, what can we be looking for? Well, if it is indeed a C wave off a of daily, one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to look for it to break below 55.61. The C wave should put in a new low below the, the A wave. If this is A and this is B. Um, again, I don't know. I'm just giving you a quick look. I've never done anything on this particular stock. If indeed it is, that's the kickoff of a third wave. Because within a C wave, under Elliott rules and guidelines, all C waves must put in five wave structure, right? So not knowing the degree, but I'm going to say if this is a C wave down, here's wave one, wave two, one, two, we're into the third wave. Third waves are most normally the longest and the strongest. And I can do one more little thing here to put a little bit of a measurement on what this third wave could. Now I'm going to add 
retracements, but they're going to double up right in here. I could take this one out and you've got, for a wave three, it's already gone. So if this is wave one, wave three is back to wave one, excuse me, wave one of this third leg, it's already gone below. Now, let me take that one off. One more I want to put on, which gives us a little bit better. We're going to do it from here. Same deal. Two to three. Okay, so 618 shouldn't even pass. It should be fine. What I'd be looking for is at least 100. Wave one. And again, sorry, let me back up one quick second. Third waves within a five wave impulse move that would be up or down. What that does do is it produces a situation where um, we are looking for five waves of inside this small. This is one, two. This is three of three. Three of three should get us down to here. Then we get a little bounce, but we're going to come down again. And if indeed we're in the C wave and we're going to compare wave three to wave one, within waves one, three, and five, most often wave three is the longest and the strongest because it subdivides in and of itself. So as you can see, one, two, and that's the third wave now subdividing again. We get a little three, four, and another five there. And that completes wave three, a four, and a five to complete wave three. It should be longer than wave one. That means it should come below 60, 53. That puts us down into 57 to 55. And ultimately, you stand a shot at getting down to two. That takes us already below that low of which it should automatically get to to complete an ABC down. If I go back out and look at a weekly chart, it fits. It fits. Coming down here and testing the 200 SMA and EMA, it fits into the, into the pattern. And you're looking at a move down to 47. That completes that, completes that. And then you get to make another choice. Was just a complete ABC? Or is it one, two, three? And then we're going to get a four and a five. And it's going to be a bigger five, bigger five ways down. Again, not knowing what they do, but realize that whatever they're doing, ingredients, they're making something, we're going into a recession. Could that spell some doom for this company? Doesn't mean they're bad, but it means we're all going to have to make adjustments. We're all going to have to make adjustments, including the corporate world. And stop passing it on down to us. They're still doing okay and making some money. So that's kind of holding them up a little bit. But guess what? That's all going to change, I think. We'll see what happens later. But to come all the way down, then you're going to go one more, go to the maximum wow, rally that they did, COVID, wow, yeah, they, they got some space to come down and still be healthy, still be healthy. I mean, the high was close to 90. If they lost 50% from there, that's just taking it down to 45, 42. That's right in here. But there's plenty of room between there and there. So I think it would be one, two, three, four, five. But if it's an ABC C-wave, this C-wave should still get us down into here, possibly even that low to complete it and then start to do it. And that may coincide when the indexes are done putting in um, the first large on a cycle degree leg of their correction. So that is also a strong possibility. So I would say if you're in a position, you want to protect it. If you're short, uh, if you're short, you still want to use a trailing stop because you don't want to get stuck on their little pops and stuff, although they're not doing any. <laughs> right now, they're getting creamed. They're getting creamed pretty hard. So again, I don't know if there was news on this stock today or not, but they're not liking it and they're bringing it in. So I'd be careful on this one. I don't think you're not at a, you're, in my opinion right now, and it's, and it's bare bones opinion. I'm not really factoring in anything else. I know nothing about the company. Uh, but on a technical basis, you're, we're not reaching a low yet, and you're, this is a falling knife, and you don't want to pretend that you're going to catch it to catch a low. 
let the market bottom and then come back up and cross above some of these low-level moving averages. So you look at that. See how hard the four, the 20, and the eight are there. They're in the 50s. Everything is rolling. And now with this, look how quickly that happened. Bam. That's telling you a lot. So if you're short, you're going to use that. And you're doing a day trade, so let's say. You can use the four as your trailing stop. If anything, if, if you don't like that much being that close, you can move it up to here if it's a swing trade. But eventually it's going to stop and it's going to rally in a little four and then it's going to drop again. All right. Now over to XLF. Financial from the spiders. This one is, is tough, I got to say, because we're looking at the health of the big boys got trillions. But guess what? They have trillions in risk. So when Jamie Dimon talks about, you know, we're going to go into recession and there's going to be a lot of pain next year and, and the market's going to decline. And Lloyd Blankenfein says the same thing. And the guy from, other, I think, another Swiss bank or one of the ones that's based here as well, they're all talking the same talk. Deutsche Bank comes out and says, definitely we're in a recession. They're not prepared. It's going to be bad. Why people tend to not believe that, I don't know. But it will affect the banks. But guess what? Because they already have their trillions, they can position themselves to continue to make money no matter what the economy does because they have so many instruments that they can invest in. And we get caught in that move called risk off. So they can continue to flip and fly money around as long as they continue to have as much as they have. So I think that the sector is going to go through the bumps and grinds, but I would follow it along in terms with the market itself. Now, if I had to to put this into what I think is, is happening within the S&P, this is the August high. This is already going above the August. The S&P can't and still be within a larger corrective phase. So I don't know if this particular ETF is giving me a heads up to what possibly could happen in the, in the, uh, in the S&P itself. Because remember, if I go back, I do think as I, we keep avoiding getting oversold, I mean overbought. They've done that a couple of times. We get more volume here. We're not getting a lot of volume here. They did yesterday on that cover. So who knows? But if I just now go back and give a little comparison to the S&P, see, there's our August high, of which the banks have already now soared past. They're up here. Could be why some are now calling for the index itself to get up to 43, 44, 45. If it does, it's going to change the count that I have. And what it'll change, it'll take this primary A, and shift it over to here and put this in a primary B wave. And if it's a primary B wave, it then has much, much higher, greater potential. And I'll show you very quickly just on here. Let me take this off so we don't get confused. And I'm just going to put straight retracements and we'll take it from the all-time high to this low. And it's really this basic if you really want to look at this stuff. If we're looking at a B wave, again, when you study Elliott, and he discusses a B wave. They're deceptive. They're destructive. That could be an upside destruction too, by the way. And they move easier. They could be thin. They could have huge, gigantic moves. It could be confusing, but it's going to be corrective. Off of that high, the trend is down. But if I have to move this count around, and this is this is going to give more room to this, what I'm calling an intermediate wave too, and it's not, and it turns into a primary B wave, then what it's going to be completing is an A, a B, and a C. <clears throat> that gives the opportunity to this count that it could get up to 43, 44, 45, 46. And that you can see in these numbers. A B wave most often is going to come in between 50% and 62% 
of whatever we're measuring again. So of that large move, well, 62% is 4309. 70.5% is actually an old uh, Fibonacci level that SPX market makers, the futures in the futures market, that's the one they use. They called it the sweet spot. And that comes in at 44.23, we'll call it. But B waves can get as high as they want. In fact, B waves can get up almost to the top of where wave A started, and that would be 4,800. Now, it also has the potential where it could be an irregular B wave. And in that case, we'd expect to do high. How do you figure those? You line it up and with extensions, and they'll, they'll go. I've done the extensions before. There you go. There's your extension. An irregular B wave compared to the A wave, 1.382, 5,300. If it goes 1.618, 5,600. They're there. Is that a reality? No idea. No idea. Very possible, but I'm not counting. I'm not looking at it. I'm still counting this as an intermediate wave two. So let me take that one off. But I would be remiss if I didn't include it, if I didn't say, because I will be making a podcast. I, I separate my, I do a daily update. I call it the Elliott Wave Update. And then I also include Eye of the Storm podcast. And that's where I'm doing a deeper dive. And I'm including more fundamental, technical, um, outside influences, what really goes on, what, what, how do I really want to interpret this rally, that rally? Do I want to call this a bullish move? I tend not to because of the other thing. Was it a bullish move? Yes. Should we have follow through? Yes. Should we have a strong follow through? Don't know. This one we did, but then it, it came back down. Then it came back down. We went up this morning. It was rejected. Didn't look like much because of this chart, but it was. So day by day, these are fluid markets that are trying to interpret reality of inflation, reality of higher interest rate. And what do we do with that? So we, we invent different things. Like right now, they're selling the crap out of the dollar. But if you really look at a long-term chart, let's just, I, let me just include that. I got a few minutes. When you take a look at the dollar, via the dollar index, this was the 3rd of November. We were trying to reach ourselves up to 114. That's the hourly chart. Wow. Bang. So A, B, C, A, B, one, two, three, four, five. And where I think we end up, I mean, we've already reached a support level that I thought we should hold here. We have a 50 at 104, 104.5. That's where I think we're headed. And then we have the SMA at 103.6. Could we drop down to here? Yeah, we could. But the Fed better cure our, our problems. The Fed better decide, hey, we're not only going to cut the rate, we're going to cut it by 2%. Because that's the only reason why you're going to want me to sell a dollar. Because I'm not going to get that interest. I'm not going to get interest on it. So do you see that happening? I don't. So if I had to look at it, there's the low, there's the high. And we're just going to do simple retracement. 382, 105. What do I got below it? Well, I got I got 104, and then I got 103. And then where's my 50%? 102. Now, that is going to throw a lot of people like, wow, it's all over. We're done. Ding dong, whatever. Inflation's dead. Is it really? So always, excuse me, balance what you're seeing or what you're hearing from pundits, from people that want to spin a narrative. Do try to balance it against evidence. Stop listening to what people say. Well, you know, the, the, the stock market or the, you know, the, the markets are really 
they're six months in advance. Bull, bull. How do we know right now? How do you know what it's going to be like six months? I don't. I have good hopes, but I get tired of hearing that we're six months out. That's that's going back and believing in the status quo. And if you choose to believe in the status quo, well, then you're going to live by it. Status quo has been on the mend and being broken since the pandemic. How we thought things should be, how we wanted things to be, are not how things turned out to be. We're desperate to go back still today. And think about this. Desperate to go back to how we lived prior to lockdown, prior to this pandemic. Now, the the question that we really need to ask ourselves, is that possible? My answer to myself is no. Financially, no. We're now $21 trillion in the hole without a means to really pay for it. So where's it get shifted? Out the door? I don't know. Are they going to have to forgive all of that debt? I don't know. Who, who gets left holding the bag? Guess who? So there's a lot of stuff out there that how do we get back to that level? So we have to determine what is the new normal? How do we live successfully, happily, easily with this pandemic, which continues to swirl its way around the globe? How do we live with the consequences of cheap money for basically 13 years? How do you live with that? How do we adjust to that? What adjustments do we need to make that your equity market's not going to go that high? Not going to do it anymore. We can't. We could, but it's just going to be so somebody big can get out. That's my belief. They want to run it back up. It's because somebody's got such a huge position that it would it, we would have it too big to fail, right? The old adage, they're too big to fail. Do you think that it's not behind closed doors that they're all talking about? It's like if we really start to sink, folks, and we drop below this level, notice what they talk about. Oh, market can go to 3,000. S&P can go to 3,000. Well, how much value is it going to lose getting itself to 3,000? Who stands to lose? Gold can go to 2,500 to 3,000, and it can do that next year. Oh, well, what if I'm short from 1750? What if I'm short from 1100? What if I'm short because you're going to be coming in? Everyone who holds these promises of gold ownership from GLD come to the door and say, no, I want my gold. I want my physical gold. There isn't any. I don't have it. It's not available. There's not enough in the ground. Well, then they want the money. Well, what's going to happen when BlackRock and JP Morgan got to start doling out a lot of money? Food to think about. I'm going to stop right there, David. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for joining us today. Um, I always have fun.